I don't know, and that's okay. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. I don't know, and that's all right. And um, so let me, um, let me remind you of a couple of things first before we get into that stuff. But that's, uh, that's where we're going. There's something beautifully, wonderfully relaxing and peaceful about being able to say, I don't know, and that's okay. And I want to teach you, and I want to show you, and I want to give you some tools to help other people, because, yeah, I don't know, and that's okay. We've been talking about the power of story and of God's desire to make things new. We've said God's in the retelling business. God's in a reconciliation and redemption and renewal and all those new things. And, um, and we've said we all have our stories, the journey of our the story of our journey through this thing called life. So if I ask you about your life, you would tell me a story. It would incorporate certain events, but you would also have some thoughts and feelings about those events. And we're talking about perhaps God wants to change those stories about those events. Perhaps that's what he means by making it new because there's an event and then there's a story you've all experienced this morning and there's been one event, the same things happen to everybody, but you may all tell different stories about the event. And that's what happens throughout your entire life, really. You tell different stories about your event. And um, I already shared with you a few weeks ago that many of us believe we are shaped and formed by our experiences, but it's not actually true. Your experiences don't shape you. The, uh, the Nobel Prize-winning psychologist Daniel Kamen said that actually there's part of our brain that experiences what we're going through, and then there's part of it that remembers what we experienced. And actually, he's done all these kind of studies that show that it's not what we experience that defines us, but it's actually what we remember that defines us. Which means that your experiences don't have to define you. What you've gone through, good and bad, does not have to define you. It's what you remember about those things that defines you. And we'll get on to whether it's even possible to remember different things about the same event. But what's powerful is that about this understanding is that our understanding of our past and therefore our sense of our present and our predictions of the future are rooted not in what we've experienced, but in how we remember that experience. And in fact, psychologically, your experiences count very little. You experience something for about three seconds and that's it. The rest of it is memory. And it's about what you commit or don't commit to memory and about what you actually choose to commit to memory because you can choose what you remember. You might not think it, but you can actually choose what you remember. And God can do some incredible things in memories. God can heal memories. Not, the, the, not just the pain of memories, but actual memories. I know it for myself and I know it for other people. It's incredible what God can do, even in our memories. But what most of us fail to realise is that our story is in our power to retell. Lots of us believe that we've got a journey, we've got a life, we've got a history, we've got a story, and that's it. But actually, you can retell it. It can be told a different way. In fact, it can be told a whole myriad of ways. The question is, which way do you want to tell it? What story do you want to tell about the events of your life? It explains why a group of people can all go through the same event at the same time, and yet some people come out stronger, and some people come out never managing to move forward from that event. I read this to you a few weeks ago. It's from a book called The Artisan Soul by Erwin Raphael McManus. I know without any doubt that our experiences are not nearly as powerful as our memories. We must never allow ourselves to believe we are the sum total of our experiences. 
Though they are real, we are more than those experiences. The moment we define ourselves by our experiences, we have lost our way. Be informed by your experiences, but do not be controlled by them. Because your experiences count very little. That's not to say we don't have painful, difficult, awful, dark, traumatic experiences. We do, because we live this thing called life. But how we remember and what we choose to remember is what's really important, and it's how God makes us new. Now, it's those worst experiences, those harrowing times, those memories that were or are filled with pain that I want to talk about this morning, because I know many people have some questions. They have questions like, well, where was the good when whatever happened? How can I possibly see in a good light? Where was God when? How did God let happen? How can I tell a good story about something so painful? There's a real questions out there that we all ask at all sorts of times. Well, how can this happen? And how can that happen? And what about this? And why did God not sort this out? Well, this morning I want to explore some of those questions. But first of all, I want to say they are big questions that people a lot more learned and brighter than me have tried to explore for thousands of years. So this morning I am not going to give you a theological discussion on it because I don't really know how to do that. But what I am going to do is share with you what I've seen in the Word and what I've seen has helped me and other people try and get around these questions. Because a lot of these questions keep people stuck. They go through something, they experience something, and they get stuck at this question. And because they can't answer it, they, they just get stuck. And I want to help, and I want to unstick you, if you like. But I also want to help you unstick other people. Because there are some keys I'm going to share with you that will help you and help other people. Because everybody asks those questions. Everybody asks those questions. They might ask them subconsciously, but at some point when they go through a difficult time, they ask those type of questions. And of course, let's be really clear. So we cannot change any of the events that have happened in their lives. I can't change my parents, where I went to school. I can't change the fact that I got me redundant. I can't change the fact that I lost Ange. I can't change any factual event about my life. It happened. It's a reality. But I can choose two things. Firstly, I can choose what I remember about those events because what I remember is more important than what I experience. And you have to understand, you can choose what you remember. The more you dwell on something, the more you talk about it, the more you look at pictures about it, write about it, moan about it, the more strongly it gets written on your memory. So the more you tell an event over and over and over and over again, and especially if you tell it in a negative way, the more your memory of it grows and gets stronger and stronger. Which is how it's possible to tell a different story about it to create a different memory. Plus, the God that I know is incredibly wonderful at healing our memories. There are certain things that I know happen, but I have no visual memory of them. I have absolutely no visual memory of them whatsoever. I cannot see it as a picture in my mind, although I know it must have happened. God did that for me. There's no doubt about it. God did it for me. And to change your memory, you have to change your thinking, which is really what I've been talking about for the last 13 years. And it might seem a bit surreal to suggest that we can choose what we remember, but it's true. He can actually heal our memories. Secondly, we can change how we've previously allowed an event to define us. Because what happens as we walk through life and the various events of our lives is that we're impacted in various ways. And what happens when we, we do that is we start to believe some things about the world and ourselves. So we go, we, we don't work for a little while, or we lose our job, or uh, we go through a relationship breakdown, maybe we get divorced, maybe our, we don't talk to our parents, maybe uh, we're looking for a lifelong partner and we can't seem to find one. All those things go on, and the, we end up 
something happens. They're not just events because they start to define who we are. We start to believe that that is who we are. That's how God makes things new. Because what happens is you go through those things, you start to believe certain things about yourself. Maybe you believe that you're unloved or rejected or unworthy or ashamed or broken or poor or stupid or a failure or whatever it may be. But those things affect you. And they tell you something about you. But in the light and love of Jesus, he makes all things new because he wants to write a new chapter with you where you come and see the events of the past don't define you in the negative way they once did. That's what it means to be made new. You can go through the most terrific of experiences and it cannot define you in Jesus. That's the reality. Now let's go on answering some of those questions. We can say this, God is present and involved in our lives even when he seems deaf or on holiday. God is present and involved in our lives even when he seems deaf or on holiday. People sometimes say to me they're worried because they can't feel God or he doesn't feel close. But of course, what you feel is a momentary frame of mind. And nowhere in this book does it tell you to feel God. Nowhere. It tells you to know him. The truth is that even when he seems miles away, he is close enough to touch. Do you remember the story of the two disciples? Luke 24, they're on the Emmaus Road. These are two people who've loved Jesus. They've seen everything about Jesus. And they thought Jesus was going to revolutionise their world. They thought Jesus was going to overthrow the Roman Empire. The Jewish kingdom was going to arise once again. They were going to walk and live and worship in freedom. And yet they are so disheartened and so disappointed and so down. And they are walking away from Jerusalem towards Emmaus. And this man comes and walks with them. And the man you find out at the end is Jesus. But they don't see him. They're not aware of him. Was Jesus, they imagine, they've just seen him crucified. So they have every reason to believe that he's not there and he's not present and he's not with them. But the reality is he's right there, shoulder to shoulder with them. All the time, he's just shoulder to shoulder with them all the time. Never assume that God's silence or apparent inactivity is evidence of his disinterest. Never assume that God's silence our apparent inactivity is evidence of his disinterest. An author called the Reverend Reuben Welsh once said, with God, even when nothing is happening, something's happening. Even when nothing is happening, something is happening. And I believe that God is in every moment, and I believe the best way to understand that God is in every moment is to use this guy. So this is Wally, or Waldo, the American version. Um, are you familiar with the Where's Wally books? So the Where's Wally books are these books. I know you won't be able to see it very well, but um, the pictures and Wally appear somewhere in the picture. And Wally, or Waldo, is on every page of the book. The problem is trying to find him. And um, it was quite funny, because I put this up uh, at the beginning to see what it looked like, and the music team were like, he's not there, he's not there. And then I went, no, no. He's right there. And they went, no, he's not there. He's not there. And the study are like going, no, you're lying. You're lying. And then I, I zoomed it up to 400% on the screen at the back. And they went, oh, yeah, there he is. <laughs> and then somebody went, but I don't think we'll be able to see him. I went, yeah, that's the point. <laughs> you see, Wally, he's on every page of every book. And your, book, your life is like a book, isn't it? We've been talking about writing a story. Just because you can't find him, don't mean to see he's not there. Just because you can't see him, can't identify him. And even, 
even when I put that big arrow and big red circle around and the study, they're like, I can't see him. Yeah, but isn't that how it is sometimes? Even when somebody goes, he's just hiding behind that speaker over there, well, I can't see him. I mean, most of us blokes don't find stuff when it's like there, do we? So, but anyway, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> but, but sometimes, sometimes God's easy to see. So sometimes God's a bit like, oh, yeah, there he is. Like, it's obvious, it's clear, it's plain. Like, we talk about things, oh, God's about, God's here, which is just nonsense. What we mean is, we're able to just understand what he's doing at this moment in time, because we've seen it. We, we say things like, God's about, as though yesterday he won. It's like, we say some really strange things about, it's like when people die, we say, we say we've lost them. It's like, well, we didn't go down to the shops and go left instead of right. Like, the, like, we say some strange things about all sorts of life, don't we? And they're not helpful either. It's not helpful. Especially if you're talking to children. It's really unhelpful to say things like, well, we lost Dad. Well, when's he coming back then? Who's going to find him? <laughs> no, but really. Sometimes you've just got to oh, actually stop being so British about it and just go, no. Ian's died. And he's going to be with Jesus. And that's a beautiful thing. So, sometimes God is like that. And sometimes it's a bit different. And now I can't get my phone to work. There we go. Sometimes it's like that. So if you're ever thinking, you've got to remember, okay, my life, it's like, where's Wally? God, Wally. God, Wally. God, Wally. Okay? Not God is a Wally or any other vowel for the second letter, but just Wally. Okay? That's it. Some of you will get that later on. Um, so let's move on. Where are we? That's it. It's like the sun on a cloudy day. We say things like the sun's gone in. <laughs> really? Really? What we mean is it's a bit cloudy. You know, the sun's gone down. Well, not really. The earth's just moved. But you, you don't understand me. It's just like that. We, we, oh, the sun's gone in today. Okay, well, if it had, you'd be, you'd be dead. <laughs> you know, in the dead of night, the sun's out. You just can't see it. The sun's always out. Whether you can see it or not is frankly irrelevant to whether it's there or not. And it's just the same with the Father. It's just the same with God. He's there all the time. It's an issue of perception and understanding. He was there. And I realised that even this thought, okay, so when this happened then, God was there. Well, the next question you often get is, well, why didn't he do anything about it? I don't know. I don't know. But I can tell you what I do know. I can tell you that he was pained when you were pained. I can tell you that I believe he cried when you cried. And I can tell you that I know he felt your pain. And I know he has done everything already to heal you of it. That's what I do know. Sometimes I don't know is the only answer we can give. And that's okay. Because it's an honest answer. It's a real answer. And it's a true answer. And anything that tries to give an answer where there isn't an answer. Frankly just wants you to make people punch you. Don't try and give an answer to something there's not an answer for, because everybody realises there isn't an answer, and it's just annoying. People in pain don't want to be told, well, maybe God wants to... No, no. Maybe God wants to teach you this. No. Don't ever say that to anybody. The same as, please, never, ever, ever quote this verse to people who are in pain. I'm going I'm to explain what this verse actually means, because I've had some... It's great, this verse. 
All right. Honestly, somebody's, somebody's just lost somebody. Don't go up to going, oh, well, God's going to work it through for good. Because you know what I would do if I were Karen? I'd smack you. Because <laughs> that's what I wanted to do when people said it to me. Because it's the most unhelpful and untrue thing. That's not what this verse is about. This verse does not say that out of all the rubbish, God's going to make something good. It says it in other places, but Romans 8, 28 and 29 does not say that. Romans 8, 28 29 says this, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his name. Which is what we call a truism. It's just true. Because when you read it and understand it properly, it cannot be anything but what it says. Think about it. We know God is good. So what else would God do, other than in everything, work for our good? And if God only works for good, then when it's not good, maybe somebody else is working. When God works, only good things can happen. So if good things did not happen, God was not at work. That's what that verse means. It's just a complete truism. When God works, when God works, God does good things, it says. And we know that in all things, God works for good. Well, that's fairly straightforward, isn't it? But what happens is people get all confused and they ask questions. They assume this means that that there's some good in everything and that God is involved in every action and interaction and that because of that, then there must be some good somewhere and they try finding some good in something that frankly was not good. It was just wrong and evil and there was nothing good in it because God wasn't in it. Because people act without God. You and I act without God. And when you and I act without God, it's not good, is it? When you act of your selfishness and your pain and your pride and your arrogance, then it's not good. Which means God didn't act. So if anything good didn't happen to you, I'm telling you right now, it won't God, and this verse proves it. Because God works for good. And in all things God, all things God works. You've just got to read it a different way. We've read it. In all things, God works for good. No, all things God works for good. Do you get the slight difference? Like, when God works, only good things can happen, because that's what God does. So if it won't good, it won't God. That pain you went through, it wasn't God. God didn't send it. But God set the world up in such a way that people can choose to work with him or work without him. And when people work without him, it's not good. That's how he set up the world. You see, if you have suffered at the hands of another human being, if you were not treated with respect, honour and love, and it was not good, it therefore was not God, and God had no part in it, because we know that in all things God works... For the good of those who love him. Somebody else would at work if it weren't good. And that's possible because God does not get what, you realise this, God does not get what God wants. Do you understand that? On the earth, God doesn't get what God wants. He's true. Because God wants good all the time. But he doesn't get what he wants all the time because we have not yet learned and the world has not yet learned to act as God acts. So God doesn't get what God wants. But he set it up in a way, and, and, and you might not like it, but it doesn't really matter, because these are the rules of life. A lot of people get stuck because they go, well, I don't like that. Well, you can not like it all you like, but that's the rules of life. People can act with God or without God. That's it, at the bottom line. And when people act without God, people get hurt. When people act with God, people get redeemed and healed and restored. 
And you can go, well, I don't like those rules. Well, okay, but it's not going to get you anywhere. It's like having a game not playing, going, I don't like these rules. Well, okay, but if you want to play the game, these are the rules. Well, I don't like them. Okay, well, sit there and complain you don't like them, but everybody else is going to get on and play the game. I know it's a bit harsh, but honestly, so many people get stuck complaining about the rules of the game instead of getting on and playing the game and finding some healing in the game of life, which is another game that has rules. But anyway. But do you see, you can argue and debate for as long as you want, but it doesn't change the fact that his incredible love means he gave each and every human being choice. And I know you go, well, I don't understand that. Well, okay. Okay. I don't know, and that's okay. But some, some of these things, we just have to go, it's okay. The truth is, there is a truth about the world that we must accept if we'll be renewed. There are some basic laws of the universe. And the sooner we accept them, the sooner we can spend time and energy on finding healing in them. I don't like them as much as you like them. I wish the world was set up in a different way, but it's not. And maybe one day I'll find out why, but for now I have to trust. Be still and know that he is God. So many people spend time debating and discussing on why the world's set up this way and why the rules are like they are. But wouldn't it be better if it was set up a different way? But, but it doesn't bring healing. That debate don't bring you anything good. It don't bring you life or healing or goodness or anything. God gave people free will. And some people use it for that will for their own gain and advantage with no thought to anybody else. And so do you. You at times use your free will for your own gain and your own selfish advantage because you are human and you are learning to do it less. But just because you do it less than some other people don't make you any better than them. It just means you've found Jesus and he's helped you. And you are grateful for that. Which brings us to another question. Why? Let me tell you a story. There was a man who was condemned to solitary confinement in a pitch black cell. And the only thing he had to occupy his mind was a marble, which he'd throw against the walls. He'd spend hours throwing it, listening to it, grope around the dark for it, catching it. One day he threw his marble in the air, but it didn't come down. He was deeply disturbed by the disappearance of his marble and his inability to explain its disappearance. So much so that finally he lost his mind, pulled out his hair and died. When the officials came to remove his body, a guard noticed something caught in a thick spider's web in the upper corner of the room. That's strange, he thought. I wonder how a marble got there. Human perception sometimes poses questions the mind is incapable of answering. Human perception sometimes poses questions the mind is incapable of answering. But valid answers do exist. Maybe not this side of heaven, but valid answers do exist. Just because you haven't found a valid answer doesn't mean that one doesn't exist, but you may not find it this side of heaven. But it does seem we're built with a desire to understand and grasp and try and get hold of something. We seem to think that if we could have a, a logical, rational expectation, that would, explanation, that would somehow help. But, but you have to remember, most of your interactions are with people. And how many people do you know that are 100% rational and logical? So there's all these people we interact with who don't operate rationally and logically all the time, like you. And 
we want to try and get a rational, logical explanation for what they do, which you're just setting yourself up for failure, aren't you, basically? That's just not going to happen. And then that leads to another question, which is, if you did get an answer, how would it help? The truth is, it doesn't change anything. The facts are the facts. They are what they are. It doesn't bring healing or peace because mental understanding is not what brings healing and peace. Your understanding does not take you any further on your journey of being healed. Of course, we can learn from the past, and we should, but it doesn't bring healing. The answer to your greatest why does not bring healing, it does not bring peace, and it does not help you move forward in your life. Forgiveness and Jesus are what bring healing and peace. We get led down this cul-de-sac believing that if only we could understand, then all would be well. And many people are stuck in a cul-de-sac of why. They've gone and they why, 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 and they, and they just kind of stuck there all the while. And they can't get any help, they can't receive healing, they can't receive peace because they're just consumed with, if only I just knew why then it would be all right. But Phil already read it. Ephesians 3.19, love that surpasses knowledge. Love that surpasses knowledge. That's why I call this talk, I don't know and that's okay, because in order to be at peace, we have to settle some things. And one of the things we have to settle is that you may not know the reason such and such happened. Let me finish by sharing some words from a story in the Bible of a man called Job, who endured terrible suffering. Much of the book is taken up with his three friends, who at first say nothing, but then they kind of become the interpreters of his story. They take his experience and they attribute their own meaning to them, and each in their own way condemning Job and using his experiences to prove he's not the man they once thought. And they basically try and logic and reason this whole thing. It goes on for like 30 chapters, these people trying to go, this is why it happened, this is why it happened, this is why it happened. I mean, you don't need friends with, you don't need enemies with friends like them. But you would be asking why if you were Job, because his story doesn't make sense. He is doing everything right when everything around him comes crashing down. He was a brilliant example of a life well lived. According to the story, he was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He'd done everything right. He had every he had reason to ask why, to try and work it all out, and yet he couldn't. Well, of course not, because what had happened wasn't rational or logical to him. But eventually God speaks to Job and Job and turns the tables on him. God speaks for four chapters and it is incredible reading the sarcasm alone in Job 38 to 41 will make you smile. And um, I'm going to read some of it to you because I think it's just wonderful. Um, then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, who is it that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Prepare to defend yourself. I will question you now, Job, and you will answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me, if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? Have you given orders to the morning, or shown the dawn its place? Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea, or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. And then my favourite, do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you and say, here we are. Wow. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Sarcasm in the Bible is just wonderful. In every type of literature, do they report to you and say, here we are. It's just great. I love it. There are some things we won't know. 
some things that we won't understand because we are human beings and God is God. We are the created and he is the creator. Your mind, as wonderful and fantastic as it is, is not all-conquering. It is not all-knowing. It is not all-seeing. But he is. And we must never link our ability to understand with his ability to love and care for us. You see, that's what most of us do. We don't understand. We make these conclusions about ourselves and about other people. And our greatest temptation when we don't understand is to assume the worst of everybody, including God. Which is why the last chapter of Job is so beautifully compelling. You see, we've got to separate his ability to love us from our ability to understand. Your healing, your renewal, your reconciliation is not dependent on your understanding. But your giving up of that need to understand is dependent on your healing. So many people don't find healing, they don't find freedom, they don't find life, they don't manage to tell a new story because they make a subconscious or even conscious decision that they can only be healed and free when they understand what happened to them. But it could be that the only true, real answer this side of heaven is, I don't know. Job 42 says this, Job answered God, I'm convinced you can do anything and everything. Nothing and no one come upset your plans. You asked, who is this muddying the water, ignorantly confusing the issue, second-guessing my purposes? I admit it. I was the one. I babbled on about things far beyond me, made small talk about wonders way above my head. You told me, listen and let me do the talking, let me ask the questions, you give answers. I admit I once lived by rumours of you. Now I have it all first-hand from my own eyes and ears. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'll never do that again, I promise. I'll never again live on crusts of hearsay or crumbs of rumour. I babbled on about things far beyond me, made small talk about wonders way over my head. You see, there is a thing you were going through, and then there's a thing you added to it, thinking you could understand it. This is what we do. There's an event, there's a pain, there's a heartache, there's a difficulty, there's a whatever. And then we add another layer on top of it, which is trying to understand it. So there's anguish, and then there's the anguish of trying to understand it. And we, we think we can break it down into nice, neat categories, labels and explanations, logic it out, reason it out, rationalise it out. But some people have talked of how this moment for Job is his release from that particular anguish of soul. You see, there is the anguish, the pain of the event, and then there's the whole other anguish of trying to work it all out. And it's like we layer the anguish of working it out on top of the original pain. And many of us get trapped in that place for a very long time. There are moments that defy wonder, there are moments that defy that wonderful human intellect of yours. And it's not irrational or pre-rational, but there is a non-rational depth to what happened. And some things can't be explained or rationalized away. And the only answer is I don't know. It's to recognize that your wonderful mind simply isn't enough to comprehend what happens on the earth. And there is a need to accept it. Your mind just is not big enough to comprehend what goes on. And when you give up, and really that's pride. It's you assuming that you can know as much as your creator. And we have to say sorry for that because we care. And we have to be still and know that he's God. We need to have that moment and say like Job, I babbled on about things far beyond me. 
made small talk about wonders way above my head. And, and, and that small talk, we don't mean to minimise it or, or anything else. It's just a phrase that's like, it's a way of saying we don't get it. We need to give up that desire to know because it's not leading you anywhere helpful. You need to be spending your energy and time you've got on releasing forgiveness, on telling a different story, on finding healing, because that's what moves you forward. I have no idea why I got made redundant. I have no idea why when I was 30 years old, Ange died. I don't know. I just don't know. But once I gave up that not knowing, healing could come. Once I was willing to stop fighting it, release could come. Good things come. Come on in, kids. Just sit down. We're just finishing. I want to finish this morning by giving you the opportunity to give up the why. Musicians, do you want to come up? To stop hunting after that elusive answer that you felt might make everything okay because perhaps the best answer, in fact, actually the only answer is I don't know and that's okay. For some of us, we've been stuck in that cul-de-sac of wanting to know for a long time. And that cul-de-sac has just, well, you've got nowhere to go in a cul-de-sac, you just sat there. But actually, there's something incredibly releasing and beautiful and amazing in going, okay, I don't, I don't know, I'm, I'm gonna, and you've got to ask yourself this, which is more important, knowing why or finding healing? Which is more important? Because you can't, you might not be able to have both. And in my experience of the pain I've been through in many different ways and times, I knew that healing was more important than why, because healing meant I could move forward. Healing meant I could move on. Healing meant I could be restored and reconciled and redeemed and menu. And healing was more important than why. And if why comes along, okay, great. If it doesn't, okay, great. But I wanted to be healed. That was more important than the why. And so this morning it's a choice. Do I want to know why or do I want to be healing? And you might not never know the why, but you can definitely get the healing. So it's a choice between something you can definitely have or something you might never get. Yeah. That's the choice. Let's stand together. Because I think some of you might need to make that choice this morning. So I want to pray. Father, we thank you that we serve an all-knowing, all-seeing God. We thank you that you know all things and that in you are all the answers. We recognise your greatness and your vastness. We thank you for our incredible minds and intellect and all that they're able to do. But we recognise that we are the created ones and you are the creator. And we recognise that we may not find all the answers to all our questions whilst we live on this earth. But Father, for those of us who have been battling with the why, who have got stuck moving forward because we believe we had to understand in order to gain some forward momentum, we say, sorry. We recognise we do not need to understand to be healed. We do not need to understand to extend forgiveness. We do not need to understand to tell a different story. And if you want to give up that need to know why and choose healing over why, I want you just in your own heart, just quietly repeat these words after me. Father, I give you my need to understand. I give you my need to grasp and logic and rationalise. And if I have dwelled there and it has stopped me from receiving from you, then I am truly sorry. I ask for and receive your forgiveness. And I choose to say, in fact, let's just all say this together. 
I don't know. And that's okay. And Father, right now, we just release the burden of why off people, Father. I release it off of them, Father. Those who have chosen to give it to you, Father, I release it off of them, Father. And I ask, Lord, that you'd meet them in a special way, Father. That healing would flow on, Father. That forgiveness would flow out of them, Father. Lord, that they'd be able to move forward and find more and more of who they are in you and what you've met them to be, Father. Thank you, Jesus.